0: Danielle is with the Salvation Army, and she's an officer, and I don't know if everybody's an officer in the Salvation Army, but that's pretty cool, and uh, she is passionate about seeing God's kingdom come to earth. She is an author and a speaker and a justice advocate, a writer, a missional practitioner, and a church planter which I love that's that's awesome and a church planter I've always been inspired and encouraged by her talks you guys are in for a treat so here's what you got to do you got to help me welcome her like i mean really blow the doors off okay i want to hear glass shattering in the back give it up for Danielle Strickland all right thank you that makes me feel fantastic this morning it is uh, such a joy to be with you i often i don't know you know i just want to be honest right from the get go 9:30 on a sunday morning and all those kids are here dressed with their hair combed and stuff i have i'm the mother of three boys so i'm finding it really difficult to trust you right now <laughs> How you can manage to get them out of bed dressed like that, looking so good with like their hair combed and everything and those cute little outfits and get to church on Sunday by 9.30 in the morning. I mean, literally turn to someone beside you and say, you are amazing. (laughs) I'm pretty sure mine are in some church right now, but I'm pretty sure their hair is not combed. (laughs) Details. It's Christmas. And uh, this series, you know, it's really, I was reading through the whole series. It's really remarkable, and I'm excited to be able to kick it off. My my line that I'm going to do out of the song, O Holy Night, is the weary world rejoices. And I was thinking to myself, wow, what a perfectly timed speak this is. Right? I mean, can you feel the weariness in our world? You feel it? I can. I mean, I just... Are you tempted to just turn the news off? It's so bad. <laughs> you just like, I just don't even want to hear about it anymore. Like I can't even begin to comprehend what it means to live in this world, to actually try to somehow get the hallmark back in Christmas when, when Christmas, when the news. I mean, did you hear the word from the Pope who's supposed to represent the church on the earth? Did you hear the latest news from him? He called Christmas a charade this year. He called it a charade. He said, how can we celebrate Christmas in this world this year like this without it being some sort of charade? Ouch. That's a man who speaks the truth, though, isn't he? It's a man who speaks the truth. And the backdrop of our world right now, even in America, the backdrop of our world being filled with fear and oppression Over and over again, these words and these experiences that we feel, these things that are coming at us, messages that we're unsafe, messages that there's actually maybe no way the world could be changed. You can feel optimism leaving the building, can't you? You feel sort of an overwhelmed sense of hopelessness as we really take a look at the world today and where we're at today. And I can't think of a better time to talk about what Christmas means than right now. I can't. I can't even think of a better time than this week, in light of all that we've heard on the news and the massacre that we've witnessed, and all of the the pieces of that coming together in this culmination of kind of this like weird weariness that kind of that overtakes us. I can't think of a better time to talk about this thing that God had planned all those many years ago and why it matters to us today. The problem I think is that. We've spent years and years and years rehearsing this idea that the first Christmas was some sort of Disney special. Right? I, I, I can't help but think part of the problem is that we think somehow that we, you know, we believe those Hallmark cards that we see with the stable and everything perfectly calm. And we sing Silent Night as though that's what it was when Jesus was born. And we forget the backdrop in which Jesus actually arrived. We forget At our peril, we forget, but this is a really important year to remember, to remind ourselves about when Jesus even showed up in the world, because it was as dark as dark could be. It was as hopeless as as hopeless could be. I mean, I I, recently just unpacked my nativity set with my six-year-old, Judah, and he passes me all the pieces of the nativity set, and I'm putting it up, and and we have every piece of the nativity uh, set except Jesus, and I said, (laughs) Judah, where's Jesus? And Judah looks at me and he says, mom, Jesus dies. What? Now, there's a kid who's paying attention in Sunday school, but he looked at me as though to like, you know, protect my fragile emotional well-being. <laughs> Should we even bother putting him in there, mom? Because you know that the story goes, you know, like, you, have you played this out in your mind? I mean, does it make any sense to put him there when we, wow. What a deep truth that is. What a permeated idea that we can actually just focus on that part of the story, that we could actually just kind of assume this, like, bad news backdrop, that we can kind of, I don't know if you guys feel this. Do you feel it? The weariness of even thinking, is it worth it? Do we bother? Do we try to actually pull? Are you guys feeling too much tension right now? (laughs) You know, I I speak a lot of times to to folks in my local work uh, to to fragile, vulnerable people groups and uh, to the poor. And so when I I speak at like conferences and churches like this, one of the ways, one of the techniques of preaching, I'll give this, this is free for you guys, but one of the techniques is you build tension, right? Because what you want to do is you want to get people to keep with you, track with you, so you build this tension, and then you kind of release the tension as a way of saying, that's kind of part of how, just so you know. So you'll know what someone's doing next week. You'll be like, ah, I see the tension building here. But I forget, because when I go home and I'm, I'm speaking to my own people, their lives are filled with tension. They do not need any more tension in their lives. And sometimes I forget to, like, switch gears. And I, mer- I remember on a Sunday, I was building some tension about why God didn't answer prayer in this one scripture text. And one of my friends stood up in the congregation and said, because it doesn't even matter, and, like, stormed out of the building. You know? And I was like, ah, someone go get that guy. Tell him I was just about to relieve the tension. It's okay. Just hang out. Hang on with me, you know. Okay, Jesus is alive. Just for the record, he's alive. I corrected my son. I said, honey, it's true Jesus dies, but that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. And even in the the darkest, most hopeless, most horrible spots of history, there is this incredible good news. Now, my friend Gracie is Judah's best friend. We put on a surprise birthday party for Judah at Chuck E. Cheese's last year. Gracie's seven years old. She's filled with life. And she is the worst secret keeper in the world. (laughs) You ever meet a seven-year-old girl who can keep a secret long? (laughs) Wow. So Gracie, I, she found out by mistake that we were actually having this surprise party because we had set up this elaborate plan so nobody knew until we got to Chuck E. Cheese's that indeed this was my son's birthday party and Gracie found out. So I had a little talk with Gracie. I said, Gracie, man, you can't tell anybody, okay? This is like top secret. Don't tell Judah, whatever you do. But Gracie was in our minivan on the way to Chuck E. Cheese's and I remember I could see her. She was sitting in the back seat and I could see her clearly in my rear view mirror. Like literally I could see her and she was sitting in the back seat like, this. (laughs) It was literally, I could see, I was laughing the whole way because I was like, this is causing her physical pain. I mean, this is literally like, (laughs) and then when we pulled into the driveway of Chuck E. Cheese's, you could see it started a little dawning on Judah, but I turned to Gracie. I said, do it, Gracie. Gracie said, it's a party. It's a party, party, Judah. It's a party. I kept it as a surprise, you know. (laughs) And I cannot help, but I can't, you know, when the angels show up at the Christmas story, you know, like just just when, I just, I feel like every angel must be a seven-year-old girl named Gracie. Like I just I literally feel like every angel's just like should we tell him now should we tell him now should we tell him now like is it dark enough is it dark enough is it hopeless enough is it weary enough Jesus should we tell him now should we tell him now that this isn't the end should we tell him now that there's something else coming can we tell them now that actually there's really this party that's going to happen that Jesus actually doesn't stay dead like that there actually is this redemption plan that's going to redeem the whole earth should we tell him that joy wins the day should we tell him that life is eternal should we Tell him that Jesus is real. Should we actually say it? Should we do it now? And God's like, wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. And all the angels are like. <laughs> and, and it's like Christmas is the nod from the father, you know, in the rear view mirror to all the angels. He's just like do it now. And the angels are like, ah, you know, like find Mary, Mary, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all God's people. Just like, boom. And then my favorite bit when they just like, um, I just really feel like these are angels out of control. I really do. When they find the shepherds, do you ever find this where they find these guys? Like literally the scripture, this is how it says over the hill (laughs) in the dark. Does that describe most men you've ever met? (laughs) I'll just, okay, okay. i am just seeing if you're awake. I'm testing the 930 church idea. Okay. Because <clears throat> over the hill, which is like a little out of the story, right? Not even ever, even inkling in the dark, literally living their lives without knowing that the most epic event that's going to unfold in the history of the world is unfolding just within their grasp, but they're out of the loop and I can't even imagine that time whether, whether they're around the fire, maybe swapping sheep stories. I don't, did you hear about the one that got away? You know, I, I maybe cracking open a few beers around the fire, sharing their stories in the dark of night, just like they did every other night. Maybe talking about the latest Roman occupier massacre. Who knows? Boom. Gracie arrives with a whole heap of angels. I I, I honestly I think like a whole heap of angels just were like, we have this awesome idea. We're, we have this awesome idea. There are these guys who know nothing about anything and never will, who don't even count when it comes to power or authority or or status. They don't even, they're not even supposed to be included. Let's go tell them. You know, it's just like, and it's not just one eight. You think Gabriel might've just done it. You know, like Mary gets Gabriel. The shepherds get a host of angels. I mean, just like a whole heavenly chorus. Literally like, <laughs> right? A whole host telling them that they're not left out, telling them that this isn't the end of the story, telling them that actually this is just the beginning of a story and it's going to get better and it's going to be filled with hope and the weary world and the hopeless backdrop. I mean, for Pete's sake, people had been 400 years since there'd been any good news for Israel. Boom. Here's the good news unleashed in the world. This is what it means. This is what it means to have Jesus among us. It means good news. First John one, one to four. That's the text we're going to use this morning. And it's weird because it's not a Christmas text, but it is the Christmas text because it tells the story of the very, very beginning, and it talks to us about who Jesus is and why it matters. Jesus, first of all, is real. In the text, you want to read it on the screen. Certainly the one, it tells us that John has actually, he's proclaiming someone who has existed from the start. So this is the story before the story even began. This is the author of that story. And he's telling us that he's seen him and touched him and saw him. And he's the word of life. Listen, I, I was in a small group with a friend of mine, Philono. I didn't know her very well, but she was um, pretty quiet natured. And we were in this small group and we were talking about times where we had encountered Jesus. Or if we had encountered Jesus. And we were just going around and telling various stories about when we had encountered Jesus. And I remember Felona said, just really quietly, she said, well, I encountered Jesus in the forest. That was it. That's all she offered. And I remember thinking, oh, that's nice. Like sometimes I encounter God a feeling when I'm running or, you know, like maybe it was the butt of a tree. or So I just said, you know, Felona, what do you mean? Like when you were in the forest, like tell us more. She said, well, I was living in Rwanda at the time. And my family, um, she said, had been massacred. I had witnessed it happen. She said, everyone was massacred in front of me. And she said, me and my brother and some other children from the village ran for our lives. And we ran into the forest to hide. And she said, we were hiding in the forest, but we were really, really afraid. We were deep in the forest and we were all by ourselves. And she said, a man came to us that night. And she said, actually, we were all afraid because we thought it was a trick, because the man looked like our enemy. And he came to us, but he said he had these baskets of food for us, and he told us not to be afraid. And she said, he came every night. I said, he came every night? She said, yeah, he came every night to the place where we were camped out in the forest for 40 days. She said, we were there in the forest by ourselves trying to survive this ordeal. And she said, he came every night, and we asked him, what is your name? What is your name? And he said to us, you can call me Jesus. Jesus is real, man. See, one of the temptations of our society, one of the temptations uh, for us, I think, is to opt out of this, is to think that Jesus is some sort of just spiritual, esoteric truth, some kind of thing like a magic rabbit foot that if we stick Jesus in our pocket and rub him on occasion, when we're feeling bad, we'll feel better, that somehow Jesus is sort of out there. But Jesus is, is real. I mean, 1 John 1... One to four says, Jesus is real. This isn't just some sort of doctrine we want you to believe in to make you kind of hope for the best in the end. This is legitimate. This is real. This is the presence of God himself at work in the world. This is, this is for real life. My son Judah makes me say that all the time because he has the most active imagination. And I'll say to him, you know, you want to go color. And instead of coloring, we're like literally we're, we're building some rocket launcher that's going to take us to Mars, you know? And then when we go play in the backyard, we're like, not just in the backyard, we're like in India hunting tigers and, and all these. And every now and then I'll just say to Judah, Judah, like, do you want to just do something normal, like go swimming? And Judah will look at me and you can see his brain working and he'll say, for real life, mom? <laughs> for real life? This is what First John 1 wants to tell you is that this Jesus stuff, this hope this love this life this possibility of things actually being okay that this this presence of god in the world it's for real life it's for real life it's not just for little hopeful christmas cards and not just for perfect displays of a facade that isn't true it's it's legitimate it's for real life my my friend anna she was Uh, A good friend of mine for years, suffering from a lot of trauma from a life. She was sold as a child into a pedophile ring. She was trafficked and abused for years and years. And her story is just like one of the worst. I've been doing this work for 20 years. Worst story I've ever heard. I remember saying to her one day, you know, Anna, how are you even alive? (laughs) She said, well, Danielle, I'll tell you exactly the moment. I'll tell you why I'm alive. She said, I was six years old and I was locked in a closet. She said, my uh, foster parents used to lock me in a closet when my scars of abuse were so visible that they would get called uh, out for it if I went to school. So they just locked me in there for the day. She said, I was locked in the closet. And she said, I actually just instinctively cried out to God. I said, God, where are you? She said, would you believe that my closet filled with light and God spoke to me and said, I am right here. She said, On that day, something turned in me. She said, something, something affected me deep on the inside when I realized that God is not out there somewhere, but He's right here. Right here in our everyday lives, right here in those broken places, right here in the darkness, right here. How many people understand that this is actually one of the key messages of Christmas is that God isn't afraid of the dark? That God isn't afraid of the weariness. That God isn't afraid of the real-life scenarios. That God's not hiding out, waiting for people to be happier. He's present in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our weariness, in the midst of our, our wasting our lives in the dark over a hill somewhere, trying to hide out from the reality of what's happening, trying to get a break. He's right there in the midst of that place saying, I am here now. I am with you now. And Anna told me no matter how bad it got, she said it was remarkable. She said that she always would go back to that moment in the closet where God said, I am right here. And she knew that she was not alone. And what's amazing about the story is years and years later, she actually got physically free. And then even more years later, she got emotionally free and some mental freeness. and, And all kinds of things began to happen, unlocking in her life of new measures of freedom. And today what she does is she literally goes out on the street with a ministry that I run, and she looks on the street, looks for young girls who have been trafficked, who have been exploited, who have been sexually abused. It's really bizarre. She said, I can spot them from a mile away. It's amazing. She has this like special radar of experience of pain, and she invites him into this beautiful ministry van where she says to them, you are not alone. I'm with you. I'm here now. (laughs) This is... What John is telling us about Jesus, this is why the weary world can actually start experiencing some sort of joy because it's, it, it's not Santa. It's not some fabrication of Coca-Cola trying to get us to, to spend more money that we're celebrating this Christmas. It's Jesus. It's Jesus who's real. It's Jesus who has this message of life. It's Jesus who, like a seven-year-old little girl, wants to spill it out, the news of a surprise party and a different ending, an ending that actually can be rewritten by coming into a relationship with Jesus. This is why the weary world can rejoice because this isn't some sort of wishful thinking or esoteric truth or some sort of doctrine that we follow. This is good news for real life. Those are some extreme examples, but I know all of us have closets that we live in. A lot of them are called different things, like depression, addiction. A lot of us are trying to do Christmas with smiles on our faces, and we're fighting it out in our bedrooms, wondering if this Christmas we can make this marriage work, at least for the kids. Lots of us experience a weariness, not just in the big news, but in the small news of our own lives, (laughs) And the angels are as clear as ever in those moments, in wherever your closet is, to say, I'm bringing you good news, good news. There is one who is not just coming to the world, but who has come to the world right where you are. In order to bring you the news, that it is possible for the world, for your world, to have a different ending after all. Can you imagine the kind of world that Jesus has made for Anna to take all of her suffering and pain and rejection, to take all of that bad news that the world had dished her in ample supply and pour it out as a redemptive act on the earth? Can you imagine a God who can change the trajectory of people's lives like that? Can you imagine? Favorite wedding I've ever performed in the downtown east side of Vancouver. One of the best things ever. (laughs) These two guys, crazy folks. They met serving the poor in one of the notorious back alleys. It's a drug-addicted ghetto. And they met serving the poor in this back alley. So they decided that they would get married in that same alley. (laughs) I helped break the news to the to the bride's mother, and uh, so they decided, what we did was, we took this alley, and it's just like filthy, and gross, and attics, and needles everywhere, and we sort of wash, we power washed it out, and this orchestra came to the alley, and we put uh, rose petals down, and a big red blanket, and and, and, and and as these people got married in this back alley, what they did is, they walked down this massive inner city street, with their bridal things on, and the groom party, and these little flower girls, Throwing petals in front of the bride as she walked down these like nasty, horrible, (laughs) drug-addicted street, and they said, "We're getting married. Anyone want to come?" And these drug addicts, one after another, prostitutes, homeless people—you know—they just were like, "What?" (laughs) And they said, "Yeah, we're getting married. Want to come?" They're like, "When?" They're like, "Right now. Come with us." And literally, as they began to walk with these rose petals, these addicts, homeless, prostituted women began to file in behind them until we got to this notorious alley where actually we were standing with an orchestra. You know, it was just like unbelievable. People were, I mean, the the city news came to cover it because it was so like crazy, ridiculously weird. And my favorite part of the wedding is I'm standing there doing the ceremony and there's all these people, the orchestra behind me and all this stuff and there's a dumpster to my right. (laughs) And literally in the middle of the vows, this guy pops out of the (laughs) dumpster. He says, holy crap. And I'm like, it's real life, man. It's real life. You know, he just he's just like, holy and he just like put the dumpster back down again. <laughs> he just like went back to sleep, I guess. I don't know. I just I felt so bad for the guy. I was like, man, it's real. Like, come on out, have some food. You know what I mean? Like, if this is really happening. <laughs> it's that kind of a story. This Christmas, it's that kind of a story. It's real, man. Come out of the dumpster, come out of the closet. Let's get some good news. Find Jesus in the midst of a forest. I mean, whatever it is, the backdrop, it's, it's, that's just what it is. The enemy trying to tell you it's hopeless, that we should stop bothering, that it won't matter anymore. But it does matter because Jesus is real, and Jesus is life, and Jesus is love. <laughs> and what those two people understood about their marriage is it's rocket science, and it's also the most simple thing in the world is that love That powerful love, the love that rescued them and the love that keeps them together is the same love that says to a weary world, we've got some good news and it's real life. I want to pray for you that you might encounter the Jesus that comes in the midst of the weariness in the middle of the darkness that says it's never going to be too dark for the light of God to blaze in glory. I want to I want to invite you to this Jesus who unleashes seven-year-old girls with good news bursting out to tell you that it's not too late. It isn't too late, and it's not too hard, and it's not too dark. God is not afraid of the dark. He's in the midst of it, right with you wherever you are, inviting you in to forgiveness, to freedom, to healing. To to things you could only ever even dream. To be partners in inviting other people in. To actually begin to spread this good news. It's not even a secret anymore that Jesus has come. Yeah, let me pray for you. God, I just, I thank you so much that in the midst of this week, particularly. You're speaking to us again. You're reminding us again. You're inviting us again into this this chorus of good news. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come. Thank you that you die. Thank you that you rise again. Thank you that you're with us now. Thank you that there is no dark place that's too dark for you. Thank you that you are in the midst of us. Thank you that you hold a final word, and the final word is, is joy. The final word is hope. The final word is that you are coming to redeem the earth and we get to join you in that good news. Would you help us? Would you help us, please? You're going you're gonna to find a sheet that you have given. If you don't have one, there's still time to get one. This is to actually have you cultivate, to work at believing God in the midst of a weary world. It's an exercise that Brené Brown suggests. If you haven't had a chance to read her stuff, it's fantastic. But she says, we rehearse tragedy so much in our lives that we forget to cultivate gratitude, which is one of the ways we experience joy in an everyday setting. And this is meant to be your gratitude, your joy practice every day until Christmas, where you actually begin to say, I'm going to participate with Jesus for real life and practice joy as a discipline. And as a way of participating with the good news that God has for his people. Would you turn to somebody beside you and just say, this is for real life, man.